0: Good morning everyone, you're tuned to Community Radio 3CR, time is uh, just after 7.30 on a Sunday morning and of course it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy, in the studio this morning we have Penny Woodward, Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design and James Beattie. So oh, good morning to all of you. Good morning, good morning. Pam. And uh, we're uh, we're all uh, ready and raring to go because uh, I need to remind you all that next Sunday morning is the three CR Gardening Show Radiothon. So, uh, so I'm needing to you to all to uh, save up your uh, dollars and cents because, uh, as you know, this is our major fundraiser for the year for the station. And uh, next uh, week we'll be tempting you with lots and lots of uh, wonderful uh, goodies, books, all sorts of product. We've got a few surprise products. We'll have a very, uh, very excited team in here on air to uh, try and tempt you to... uh, to pick up some product and uh, part with a few of your dollars to help support 3CR and The Gardening Show in particular next week. So that's next Sunday. We'll actually be running through on air from 7.30 right through to 10 o'clock and then we're going to be inviting new our listeners to come down to the station And join us for a cup of tea or coffee, something to eat. Yes, I have been making uh, a few nibbles again this year. (laughs) I get into trouble if I don't. Uh, So there will be some homemade uh, nibbles to go with your tea or coffee, but we'd love to see you next week. And, of course, to hear you uh, phone in and grab some great product and, and give us some pledges. All right, but uh, meantime we need to get this show on the on the road, and we're doing our normal time slot of uh, seven thirty running through until nine fifteen this morning. So. Uh if you have a gardening question this morning, we would love to hear from you. But uh, first up, I have to say, in particular, a very good morning to Penny. Good morning, Penny. Morning, Pam. It's lovely to be here, almost at the shortest, um, longest night.
1: Shortest Nearly, day. There. So, Nearly there. Nearly <laughs> there. Yeah, spring will be on its way before we know. It, it seems
0: crazy. <laughs> yes. Because indeed. because winter's only hit. Hard. Yep, in the last couple of yes. weeks, So we've
1: gone straight from summer into a really short winter, mm. and I suspect it'll be a, you know, spring will probably
0: come early. Exactly. But we'll see. Yes, we will see. Yes. And I presume you've had more rain down the peninsula? Yeah, quite a bit.
1: Yep. Yeah, still, it's still, um, it, it is starting to get down deeper now, but you don't have to go down very far before you're hitting. Strong. Oh, no. But it's still relatively dry. Stuff, so we still need more. I yes. mean, I'd, although I'd prefer not to be in Sydney and places like that at the moment. <laughs> it's a little bit too much. <laughs> They've really copped it, really haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> after indeed. two weeks ago, but um, yes, yeah, So it, but look, things—the weeds are growing um, for the first time. I mean, we had—I had in my garden six months where I sort of didn't really have to worry about weeds, mm. which was which mm. was really good.
0: We got lulled into a false sense yeah, of
1: security. I often <laughs> don't, and I went out into one patch of my garden yesterday and. I could see the grass was actually taking over the garden bed. So I thought, well, I'd better start weeding. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been doing a bit of weeding recently and and thinking about it a bit too because um, probably at some time in the next little bit I'll be writing an article about about weeds and um, organic ways of getting rid of them. So I've been looking at flame weeders and looking at mm. um, various other things. I know you had a seg- segment on... Um
2: on GA a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and yeah, I suspect... We
1: did. I mean, we've had letters as a result of that. Yeah, and I right. I suspect you guys have too. And it, it's quite tricky, actually, to find a decent flame weeder that doesn't cost too much. That's right, yeah. Um, because Anything
2: up of 120 bucks is kind of... Yeah, yeah,
1: well, it's look. I know Diggers sells one, um, which is under that, mm. but uh, it's only the it's only the metal tube part. It's right. not the canister or the, the tank or any right. connecting it. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, whereas another one that I found that looks really good that comes with the tube that it can attach to any uh, propane gas tank mm-hmm. um, is two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, right um and it's a big investment it it's is. if you've got mm. acres for a home gardener. then, then mm. it would be fine but for a home gardener it's a, it's a big investment
2: so I, I think they're really useful and i reckon anyone who's getting um like gravel pathways or anything mm. put in their mm. yard when mm. they when they're investing the money in installing that kind of stuff in their garden i reckon that they mm. should they should get one of these these fire weeders because they're so yeah. you know it's better than spraying Roundup oh, absolutely! Or yes. leave. And like, if you like think like, I a guess about hand the money weeding,
1: you would spend on or hand weeding yes, gravel <laughs> <when you>, <laughs> paths are very exciting. Yes. The conversation that I've had with so many people is that often it's the bloke in the family who does the spraying, mm-hmm. um, and it's the women who are arguing against using Roundup. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly mm-hmm. happens mm-hmm. in my family, mm-hmm. um, and I've I've been winning the last few years, but it, only by getting out there and, and hand weeding. So mm. I, I'm I'm now on the track of this. Of, Getting a flame waiter. Yep. but I know that at diggers, that's all that's all they use. They use that mm. and pine oil. So they use mm. pine mm. oil in areas where they're not going to be wanting to regrow things because mm. if you keep using pine oil, it can build up in the soil and can stop anything from growing.
3: Yes. The salt and vinegar sprays would be the same, salt wouldn't and vinegar, they? Even worse. Eventually, if you mm. keep
1: using mm. that, that can build up in the soil mm. too. Um, mm. So they use a combination of, of mm. those those three things. Um, mm. and, and hand weeding. And there's some... Particularly I have a lot of dandelions in my garden Because I actually mm. eat dandelions mm. And so I don't always pull them out I find them a really good resource Particularly through winter um, The Fiskets has come out With a with a weeder that Is a prong that mm. you can Push it into the soil but when you're standing Up so you can wander around the garden And get rid of all your dandelions yeah, anything, mm. anything that has a rosette Works really well So thistles and dandelions and all that sort of thing And it, it works on a you just push it into the ground and when you pull it out, the prongs close mm-hmm. and the thing comes out with it mm-hmm. and then you push it off and you can just drop it wherever you want it to go. But it generally gets the tuberous root out at mm-hmm. the same time. Ooh, ooh. So there's a, there's a lot of different options, but you know, hand weeding is always the starting point. But then when you hand weed, you think about whether you pull the thing out or whether you cut it and drop it. Mm. So I use a bit of both of that. So Mm -hmm. if it's something like a dandelion, you actually need to get the root out. But if it's something um, like I've got a lot of forget-me-nots in the garden at the moment, you're actually better off just cutting them Mm -hmm. and with not pulling the roots out. So you leave the roots and all the connections in the soil and you can just drop the leaves on the surface of the soil. Mm Um, and when I'm cutting back things like canners, I cut and drop those. I, you know, they just go back onto the surface of the soil because they make really good mulch. So, you know, there's lots of different techniques. So that's mm-hmm. been fun. I've, that's what I've been investigating over <laughs> the last Philosophizing. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing what, what can take up your time
3: sometimes. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. And, Karen, we haven't seen you for a while. What have you been up no, to? No, I feel like it's ages. Um, I've brought in some late harvest and early harvest things, but I've also brought in the most interesting thing is the uh to me and anyways the quail eggs with my new It's your new babies. My new babies. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so there, there were six. Now there's five after we've um, sent the boy back to where where they all came from <laughs> as he um, emerged gradually. So they're, they're difficult. They're, you know, that was difficult to tell when they were younger. Yes. So the um, woman that I got the quals from, had, you know, had checked them and said, oh, yes, these are all girls. But uh, she was happy to take the boy back because she'd had a dog attack and lost some of her breeding males. And uh, yeah, the the boys. I mean, I'm just learning about this, but the boys make a very different sound to the girls. So a couple of times, I'd heard this sound and thought, "Hang on a minute, that's that's not a girl quail noise." And then, of course, there was pecking around the neck right. and um, removal of feathers. And then, when I saw a bit of telltale mounting technique happening, I thought, "Okay, you're not a girl. <laughs> you're going back." <laughs> so even out of five quails, though, I'm getting um, more than I'm getting more than seven eggs a week. So maybe nine or ten eggs a week, which is pretty amazing for this time of year. Gosh, yes. I'm not sure why. Yeah. <laughs> but don't argue, I suppose.
0: <laughs> no, well, I was amazed when you, when you brought the eggs into the studio because I really thought, you know, wintertime, not much sunshine. Normally, uh, you know, egg laying slows right exactly. down, doesn't
3: it? Yeah. So so it's my first experience with quails, so maybe they quite like a bit of a chilly winter. I don't know. They've just come into point of lay, so whether that's a bit of an explosion of um, their... Fertility? I don't know. But they're very interesting because their shells, which is a bit hard to explain on radio, but their shells all have distinct patterns. So you can tell... I know with who laid which one. Yeah, with your chickens, you can tell, oh, yes, that's from that chicken, that's from, the, you know, each egg's slightly different too. But quails are really amazing because you've got this distinct pattern of um, brown speckles and marks and blotches. And so you know exactly which quails laid and wow. each day. So, okay. yeah, really cute. And I've got three cinnamon ones and two, uh, the other ones are kind of darker, like a chocolatey pattern, you know, chocolatey colour feathers. So they're very sweet, very gentle birds. So can you pick them up?
1: Are they you know? Can you, you, you can, can actually. Yeah, they, I think they it's they because
3: Adeline, who I um, got them from, she had been handling the, handling them a lot, and also she has children, so right. they oh, were handled perfect. quite a bit. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so they came already, uh, sort of mm. broken into that. <laughs> yes, or um, you know, acclimatized. Yeah. <laughs> so they're quite cute. I mean, I don't think they they don't seem to really particularly, you know, care too much about being cuddled, but they quite, they're quite happy. They're not stressed because mm-hmm. I mean they're they're quite delicate temperaments as well as being delicate birds in their size. And so, you know, if you if would stress them, they'd know. And also they wouldn't be laying. So they seem mm. fine to be picked up occasionally. Mm. Mm.
2: Do they just have free run of your entire place or...? No, no, they? they
3: really do need protecting because they are so delicate. So yep. they're in uh, a very... Um, small, like small-sized hole wire, so bird wire rather than chicken wire, mm-hmm. and completely enclosed because they're really prone to rat attack. Oh, And of really? course, rats, rats have been everywhere in the in the suburbs this yeah, autumn right. and winter. R- really bad, actually, mm-hmm. really bad rat attacks. Actually, or not bad rat attacks, bad rat numbers, huge rat numbers at the at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, and also, I was saying before to Penny that um, I did have bantons when I thought about getting. Quails and it took me that long to find them. They were not being bred for quite a while, and now they seem to be, um, in, you know, seem to be available again a lot more easily. And um, <laughs> the, the original bantams wouldn't have um, attacked the quails because they would have been closer to their size, <laughs> whereas the eyes browns I have now, and they're quite, they're quite vicious as well. They, they couldn't be kept with them. So the idea was to have them underneath, running underneath the, the bantams, to, so to speak, in the same cage to eat the food, the Bant, you know, to keep, help keep the cage clean. Uh-huh. But it's actually developed into a two-cage system or a, one big enclosure for the, um, the, you know, a cage plus a big enclosure for the chickens mm-hmm. and a really small, a smaller but quite tight enclosure for the quails to mm-hmm. keep them safe. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. Wow. I don't know how you fit everything in your garden. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Next we'll That's have the quails up on the roof along with the bees. I was actually thinking about that for it was sun to summer. <laughs> I've been plotting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and James, what have you been up to?
2: Um, just trying to keep warm, basically. It's,
0: um, <laughs> like the rest of
2: us. <laughs> just making, um, doing a lot of heavy work in the garden at the moment. It's a good time of year for that. Um, yes. It's kind of hard to break a sweat this time of year, so. Yep. It's, it's a good time in, to be doing that kind of stuff, but, um i 'm talking about just having the last couple of weeks where winter's really set in. I was out walking the dog yesterday and i I think I was the only one out walking the dog yesterday um, the still deciduous trees with with autumn mm. color on them mm. right. all over the place mm. yes yep. um, so it 's definitely it 's definitely a bit of a weird season that's sure, for sure is mm.
0: yep mm. no it 's been it 's been quite amazing the the late coloring and the way it 's held on for yes for mm. ages i
2: 've got a big ornamental pear in the in the down the side of the house and it usually defoliates at the end of at the end of April or beginning of May and it only just dropped its last leaves last weekend. Um, okay. this year. It's never been this late before. Right. Um and my
1: cherries, my ornamental cherry's been the same. Yeah it's, right. it's still got leaves mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. So it's only dropped in the last week.
2: It's, it's a temperature yep. thing. It has to yep. be. It's just, yes. yeah.
3: It's just... I've been driving past beautiful avenues of uh, Middleborough Road. We keep driving mm. up and down to do some work to, over in Matt Waverley. And yeah, it's lined with beautiful yep. coloured ornamental pears mm. with their leaves on them yeah, still.
2: Yeah, still. Yeah, mm. that's right. It's amazing,
3: Excellent. Okay, we only have um,
0: a couple of announcements because uh, most people, including us, are sort of semi-hibernating at the moment but uh, <laughs> there are a couple of things on. Uh, the first one I want to mention is that uh, next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, is the North East Melbourne Orchid Society's Orchid Show. It's being held at bulline Heights School Hall which is in Pleasant Road in Bulleen. Uh, Melway's reference for that is 32G6. There'll be orchids on show and for sale Admission is $4 for that one. Um, There'll be J&K's kitchen, there'll be soup, sausage rolls, sandwiches, cakes and biscuits, all homemade for a light lunch or refreshments. And if you have any further inquiries about that one, you can contact Michael and his number is 0417 334 232. That's 0417 334 232. Now, uh, the uh, Rose Society of Victoria's pruning demonstrations are continuing on each weekend. Next uh, Saturday, they will be at Van Loon's Nursery, which is in Grub Road, um, Wallington, via Geelong. Um, Melway's reference there is 234E1. Now, they'll be there at 1.30 only, so that's next Saturday at Van Loon's Nursery at one30 And then as well, both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend, they'll be at the Morwell Centenary Rose Garden, which is in Commercial Road in Morwell. And they will be demonstrating there at 10 a.m. and at 2 p.m. And uh, there's a big note here for people to bring their own secateurs for that one, so it's going to be a hands-on as well. Uh, And we'll go through some of the others a bit later as we get closer to time. All right, well, it's more than time we invited our listeners to join us this morning. If you have a gardening question or any comments to make, we'd love to hear from you. We've got uh, Penny Woodward, Karen Sutherland and James Beatty all in the studio this morning, so do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Karen, let's
3: talk about some of your autumn produce because you've brought in a little bit there, mm. I've I've got my last persimmon that's been kind of hanging on the fridge, and I've brought in a couple of pomegranates just to show the size of this. This is um, from my Ben Hur pomegranate, which no I, wonder it's called Ben Hur. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I had to bring it in to show show and tell. Um, it's uh, it is it is quite big, and also the uh, seeds, the uh, kernels or the seeds, kernels or seeds? Mm. What do you call them? I think them? they're seeds. Seeds, yeah. Uh, oops, yeah, that one's been split, unfortunately. See, so it's been split outside, so it's got a bit of mold. That's the only problem with this the cracking of them when they're outside hanging on the tree is that happens. But uh, they have they have really large kernels and very juicy and very sweet. Right. It doesn't look as appetizing, but yeah, very, very, very sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we'll put that one aside. That's a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. I was eating them last night. They're very, very sweet. Um, and. Often the uh, some uh, the regular pomegranate uh, species I, I had that growing and grew it up to maturity where it would grow where it would grow fruit and found it really quite bitter. That's what we grew up on as children, but I didn't really enjoy it as an adult. So I think you're better off with these, uh, you know, with some of the the named varieties. And so hur was a bit of a, an experiment when I tried it out, and I was worried it would never fruit because it took about more than it took more than five years to fruit. Mm. Right, and it hasn't had many fruit on it. And I don't know whether that's just because I haven't had a very good fertiliser regime. It's a very haphazard watering and fertilising system that I have, if, if anything. But, it, but it they has really been don't quite good, need yeah. that much. Karen, I wouldn't have thought anyway, so. No. It's,
1: it's often the sun. Just it's get, it's
3: in like it's in the sunniest sun. spot in okay. the entire garden. Yeah, yeah, sunniest, windiest spot. So, look, <laughs> so maybe it will just take a bit longer. Mm-hmm. Like yep. a lot mm-hmm. of these unknown varieties, I think it's good to try some of these. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, and see what happens. So yeah, large, large kernels as well as large fruit, and um, some oh some kiwis that I picked a bit early because the rats were getting onto them, and so. They really should be picked about now, and whereas these were picked about a month ago, okay. so so you can ripen them off the vine. Yes, but it, again, it's like the avocados. If you pick them too early, they won't ripen as well. Right. Uh, whereas the others have been, they are a variety that is ready for picking now, which is bacon. So that one has just, okay. just got soft now, and it's ready to eat after about a week in the fruit bowl. Yep. Mm. So yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I only got you know eight of them or something this year. So not many. And I'm hoping that my my new plant, when it finally grows, it could take a couple of years, yet maybe three years, to um, cross pollinate because they really do need a cross pollinator, mm. even in Melbourne's cool climate. Yeah. Yes. So well, I put I've in got, a HASS. I've got
1: worts and HASS. Oh, okay. And, yep. Um, I've had them in getting... for three or four years now, yes. and the worts have never produced fruit, but the has has. So it's had. Um, it. I. Uh, the first year it had one or two. The next year it had three or four. This year it had sixteen. Oh. Um, but some a few of them fell off when it was really small because I was really having trouble keeping the water. The up water. To yeah. Them. That's, yes. Yeah. That's what I was finding. Um, but I ended up with with February. about ten. Um, oh, excellent. And, and I harvested quite a few of them early. Um, and you can – it's one of the things I hadn't realised about avocados, certainly in our climate, is that you can harvest them over about six months. Yeah, quite a long so, time, yeah. So you, mm. they actually can sit on the tree and mm-hmm. you can – If can, the rats don't eat them. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's don't, my we problem. We have big rat Yeah, I'm lucky. At the moment, yeah. Although we do have rats and I, I could tell you a story about that a bit later. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the – yeah, so I, I picked the last one last week. And yeah, it was fantastic. a really nice big one. and I realised I'd harvested the other ones too small because I got too mm, impatient. And I, mm. But it's exciting too. They only ripen off the tree. Mm. Yes. So yeah. you do need to pick them, but telling when they're ready can be a bit tricky. It is and, difficult, And yeah. I have learnt that I need to leave them on the tree longer. But it, yeah. it's good well, to well, know that, that, that you can off. start picking them quite small if you've got a really big crop. Because some people... Get a really big crop and then harvest them all at once and then don't quite know what to yeah. do with yes, them. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that if you mm-hmm. harvest them smaller and just gradually let them get the rest of them get bigger and bigger, then you can have your own avocados and and when there seems to be a scarcity of avocados at various times of year. Yeah. Um, it's good to have them for Well six you has a year.
3: must be the one, because I haven't had HASS yet, although the friends I have who have HASS and Bacon have had more from again, like you're saying like from you're reporting house. really good crops from their house. Yeah, yeah. it seems to be a much more prolific mm. fruiter than bacon. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, I've heard that.
3: Yeah. Cuz so, I've,
0: I've I've got a bacon um, which I just never got a crop off and so I finally hard. planted another one, but of mm. course it's only very early days Not mine, so I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. wait with anticipation yeah. but <laughs>
3: <laughs> hopefully I'll eventually get an avocado. But <laughs> if you've been getting um Hass avocados if you've just finished them, that was the time when avocados were at their most expensive. So that's yeah. that's yes. really good. Has Indeed. must be the best timing yeah. of compared yeah. to commercial avocados. They're yeah, just great. Well, yes, <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know, but I, you know, we have. Um Commercial growers not that far away in oh, Flinders, okay. so yes, you yeah. can usually judge when the avocado season is, and and it tends to be at the end of summer. So you know mm, they mm. have a lot of avocados for sale then. But I haven't seen any for sale from their place beside the road for three or four months mm. now. Mm. So I don't quite understand okay. that. But
0: yeah. well, I guess from a commercial point of view, that's when everybody wants to buy avocados isn't for salads it? and yeah. things, yeah. isn't it? Mm, so mm, as as mm, yes, yeah. so they're yeah. probably trying to pick according mm. to the mm. the market needs. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I had getting back to the pomegranate, I had um been told a while back that Australia did not have um
3: a particularly particularly good varieties of pomegranate ah. here in Australia
0: compared to um say over in over in Europe um, oh, or
3: North America. actually North America when my partner was working over there, we had fantastic pomegranates just when you bought them at the at the greengrocer or the supermarket over there, the flavour was amazing, and I actually think that the seeds of this Ben Hur are close to You're getting the flavour. Yeah, yes, really intense juiciness and flavour. Yes, so right. Pretty, it's a pretty good variety. Yeah. if it fruits more, it just hasn't had many fruit. That's all.
0: Yeah, yeah. I my um, I tend to juice all my seeds mm. because um, to eat them, they're they're still the the seed itself is fairly woody. Um, mm. It's not the most interesting to just throw the seeds into a salad or something you it's too you chewy. have to try these because i yeah. think these are,
3: these are quite large and juicy they're yeah. they're very good in a salad yeah i'd say they're the best i've had really mm. well i do in get
0: I, I do get a reasonable amount of juice by just juicing them and so i've mm. given up just just saving them as, as the straight seeds and using them that way and just juicing them every
3: year mm. but
0: yeah that's that sounds a really interesting do variety you, do you put
3: yours into a juicer or you do it by hand or how do you um do
0: i quickly whizz it in a in a juicer yep
3: and then strain. Yeah. Mm. And and then strain, mm, mm,
0: mm. yeah. But um, yeah, I found that you know just the best way of getting, and it gets through a whole big crop, nice and quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a processing. do lingering round. Okay. Which which reminds me. I mean, I know I know listeners have heard all about all about this uh, already, but um, but I've had the most amazing crop of chocos, which all came. <laughs> From one choco you brought in here (laughs) two years ago
3: and I planted it.
0: (laughs) The next year I got, you know, a a reasonable size vine, not all that big, Mm -hmm. and I got one choco back in return for my efforts. (laughs) This year, it's just been
3: ridiculous. I forgot to bring it a choker. Eh? Oh, I'm yeah, glad. Yeah. I
0: don't want to see another one for a while. But it, be it's all gone to do crazy. With the long hot summer, of course. <laughs> no, it's That's just what they want. It's been like a triffid. It's just yeah. spread over my entire vegetable garden, and it's just endless cropping, giving away to everyone I can think of. I even took bags of them down to one of the. Um, One of the big food kitchens for that that make (laughs) up the cook food for you know the homeless, Mm, mm. and they welcomed them with open arms. I I feel like I've been supplying half of Melbourne with
3: choco. (laughs) They all came from your choco. Oh, that's excellent. Well, if Glenda's listening, they came. My choco, one choco came from hers. A friend of mine, in uh, a really keen food gardener. Anyway, Glenda, right. So, yeah. There you or, go. It's, yeah, isn't that it amazing? It's like that whole thing that, you know, a, a few little pea seeds can create crops and crops and crops oh, it's and one choco. And <laughs> yes. It's amazing. It the, is. Um, no, it's like, it's better than loaves and fishes, really. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly certainly, you wouldn't starve. If you had a choco growing <laughs> in your garden, you would not starve. <laughs> you might get bored with the taste. <laughs> anyway, um, I must remind listeners that number, if you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question that, uh, this morning we'd love to hear from you nine four one nine zero one double five that's nine four one nine zero one double five particularly this morning if you're wanting to talk all things edible with uh penny and Karen in the studio this morning who uh, who know all about uh, edible plants and Karen you've been you've been doing a lot with um Australian natives that are edible
3: i have you? i've, I've uh, always at my open gardens I talk about native Australian plants or bush foods. I actually tend to speak of them as bush herbs. I've brought a couple of them in today just to show that they're also useful to use dried. So I've got some river mint and some native sage or thyme. I've actually forgotten which one it is, (laughs) which are both members of the Prostanthera genus. So they're quite similar, but they just have slightly different uh, flavour and aroma profiles. And, of course, now they're dried. Now it's dried, it has an even more different Um, aroma and flavour and that's that's interesting interesting because I think Mm. I
1: find the Prostanthra fresh too overpowering It's strong Um, whereas that the smell of the dried one is actually more pleasant as if it's lost some of the stronger some of the incredible pungency
3: my favourite way of using the fresh Prostanthra rotundifolia is as a herb butter so I quite like chopping the leaves up finely taking them off the stems first chop them up finely, put them into some butter that is at room temperature if your room is a little bit warm, (laughs) room temperature in summer kind of thing or spring, and then put it back in the fridge for an hour and let the flavours really infuse Mm -hmm. through the oils and the butter. And then put on crusty bread or mm. melt dobs of it over um, some meat if you eat meat or over vegetables or pasta just to get the mm. flavour through. That, that's quite a – that seems to sort of um, – Yeah,
1: herd butter is a great place of using all sorts of things. Yeah, so, to get
3: that experience. Yeah. But it does seem to soften it a little bit, the butter, yeah. I think. Yeah. I've been asked by people when I've told them that, have I tried it with oil? And I still haven't yet. But it could be quite good infused in olive oil to, again, mm. get that subtleness. Mm. But, yeah, the dried is really um, quite yep. a different, completely mm. different smell mm. and taste. Mm. 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 So yeah, always always keen. And I've uh, brought in a book that I've been reading about the oldest foods on Earth, which ties into even though they're from different authors, the biggest estate on Earth and um, the predecessor to those, which is Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe. So, all really have the theme of uh, Australian <clears throat> Australian foods as they were grown by Indigenous Australians thousands, uh, for many many thousands of years and um, continued to do so um, roughly until well, the, well, the reading of these, about five years after white people came, was when, the, when everything was pretty much gone and destroyed. Mm. Yes. Or not completely, but the, the major food sources like the grains that were really growing really abundantly through the inland areas that we think of as completely infertile deserts mm. were producing serious amounts of, of native grains uh, for um, for st- for stored and traded and eaten, very, very long eaten grains, and then around the coastal areas were the were the lovely murnong um, or the yam daisy mm. that we all know, and in, in the tropics they were eating wild rice, and mm. we've just been having some research with Ian Sh- um, by Ian Shivers and his associates, and and also the Dioscoreas apparently the um, other related to the Asian yams were. Being eaten around the warmer parts of Western mm. Australia and Northern Territory. That's yeah. kind of a brief overview from yes. what I've been reading. Yes. R- really, really interesting from a horticultural point of view. Yep. Mm-hmm. Quite Absolutely. Radical.
0: Yeah. Yes, and and we're learning so much more about their actual farming skills and how it was exactly you mm. know planned. They were mm-hmm. they were real agricultural farmers.
3: Mm. And so few people know about this. I I feel so ignorant that I've only just mm. been reading about this now. I'm thinking, how did I not know this? Where mm. you know?
1: Well, it's interesting because I've known about the fish farms down in the Western
3: District, um,
1: down near the coast Is that around Bruan- Port for Bru- I can't pronounce
3: well, the word properly.
1: Yeah, it's down. It's down not far from Port Ferien. Right. In, in yeah, I had Portland, no idea about them. That area, mm. and. Um, and I lived down there and I knew about them then but I didn't ever sort of take the mental step further of how how were they using it and all that sort of Mm. thing it's only been in the last couple of years that um, they're actually talking about opening opening the whole thing up as a a heritage site and Mm. protecting it and having Aboriginal guides and people to talk about it which is you know if you go overseas and you look at some of the ancient places mm, they're used, mm. they're revered, and there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people visiting them. Whereas yeah. we have mm. these amazing places in Australia. And someone actually asked me that when I was overseas last year, and they were they were talking they were talking about um, you know well you've got some really old places in Australia. Do you all go and visit mm. those? And I thought, yeah, well, we
4: actually, we don't.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: So infrequently. Um, but, so there's so other fish know, traps in the, in kind of Western New South Wales as well yeah. that are that predate the pyramids. You yes. know, and and yeah. they're they're not really a tourist centre no. at all. And well, you think, well, why? <laughs> it's, it's quite fascinating. We've got some of the oldest infrastructure on the earth in that regard. Yeah.
0: We've got old eel traps just in the Yarra River mm. right right near us. Mm. Really, yes, mm. and um this is only we've only discovered them um, recently from a, a book that a historian's done about um laughing waters, which is an area on the Yarra, just just well mm. it's virtually in eltham mm-hmm. um and and so we've tried to contact the council to see if there was maybe a a, a Koori guide or someone that mm. could could take us down there and talk to us about it but um you know we're not having any success in getting that and and it's i'm People would be so interested mm. to see mm. these absolutely. things and learn much more about about what was happening locally in their area. Mm. So um, I, I'm really hoping that someone comes on mm. board and and we can expand this mm. right through other sites as well. Yeah,
3: mm, absolutely, and and especially that when you when you use that word learn, that's exactly what as a horticulturalist I'm reading through these books and thinking, wow, this is kind of mind blowing information mm. to think that you could grow really good food grains and, well, it's just sort of briefly mentioned by John Newton uh, – no, sorry, by um, Bruce Pascoe that many Australian grains are gluten-free and I've had to sadly, I think, <laughs> become gluten-free the last few years, the last couple of years and th- that seems to be a, a major opportunity mm-hmm. for using – again, like like I always like to talk about the bush herbs and how we've, you know, we've got these amazing plants, lemon myrtle a lot of people know about – a lot of other things like the native river mint and the, and the um, native thyme or sage people are completely unaware about, aware of. And ha- how can we not be looking at these grains? And as um, Bruce Pascoe points out, you know, they, they don't need large amounts of fertilisers. They're, they're per- the big thing about these for a horticultural, for, from a horticultural point of view is they're perennial grasses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You're, you're, not, you're thinking about a completely different form of agriculture. exactly. Yeah. Yes, so, and, they and they're really acclimatised. So. Much less water, yep. less yep. fertiliser, less yep. herbicides and pesticides. Yep. They're actually suited to our country. Mm. And, again, it's like that cultural cringe that we, you know, we didn't grow native plants in our gardens until somewhere in the 70s or so. Mm. Yes. And then all of a sudden we thought, oh, hang on a minute, what are these plants? Oh, yes, yeah, we could use <laughs> these. Look at these quaint little plants we've got growing around us everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, now they're well established in, in gardeners, in, in gardens, that. Uh, you know we have still haven't really taken mm. on these plants in agriculture mm. so That's it's right. great to see these books being mm. written yep. and mm. giving us information and inspiration i suppose absolutely
2: and bill gamage's book and bruce pascoe's book they're they're really good as a as a couple um mm. you know I've, they they, I've they make of think they of make, them make together, a, overarching yeah. philosophical mm. points that work really absolutely. well together they're, mm. they're both great yeah
0: excellent we must go to some of our callers and first up we have robert down in Phillip island good morning robert oh,
5: good morning how are you
2: going
0: we're well
5: oh how are you how are those are some of them starting yes, to... they're
0: all they're all <laughs> shooting, Robert. I can't wait to see them come into flower.
5: No, I hope there's some good ones among them. Yeah, they're
0: they're, they're doing very well.
5: Doing well, are they? Yes, but I've got a few uh, John Quillers up. Got some one called Double Roman. It's a beautiful John John Quill. Right. Got some paper whites starting to come out. Uh, haven't had any sold Dior out yet, but I've seen them in other areas. They've been out for three or four weeks. It's funny how different areas can have a, a, a bearing on bulbs, just yes. temperature and ground. And and uh, so yesterday I, w- I was out in the paddock. I had a, a privilege, went out with the ferret. I got a couple of rabbits and it was a beautiful uh, day, nice cool wind. And I, I thought, now, I look forward to seeing a robin redbreast every winter. So I thought, oh, not many here today. I haven't seen one. Then all of a sudden a flock of about 12 little wrens came and landed on the fence and they were robin redbreasts. They oh. were, uh, gorgeous. There were about eight little hens and four cockbirds and two of them were in their full red colouring and the other two little cockbirds were just starting to get the red. Right. And they landed about, oh, about 15 feet from me, so I just gazed in amazement.
0: Oh, fantastic.
5: Aren't they a beautiful little bird? They are. Where do they come from and where do they go? I've often wondered, because after winter you don't see Robin Redbreast. I've often wondered. Mm. Now, the other don't que- know. No, the other question, the, the worm juice, where, where do you rate it? Uh, among other uh, tonics and all the rest of it that they advertise on uh, the media do you use it at all a a chap gave me some and i mixed it in with the water and i had magnificent results
1: Uh, look i use it all the time um mainly for things in pots um because i grow quite a bit of stuff in pots um but look, you can use it anywhere in the garden, and it, with my worm juice, it depends on how much it's been raining. Because when it rains, my worm farm gets a bit flooded.
4: Mm. Yeah. Um, so
1: if it's been raining a bit, then I don't bother diluting it. Um, if it hasn't, then I dilute it by sort of 50, at least fifty percent. And I find it's as good as any um, any of the liquid fertilisers. Yes, yes, if
5: yeah, I find that too. Yeah, it's it's a it's an excellent product. Mm. Anyway, thanks for the program.
0: Okay, okay. good on you, bye Robert. Bye. Next up, we have uh, Jill down in Dramana. Good morning, Jill.
6: Good morning. Good morning, Pam and panel. A very interesting discussion this morning. Um, I remember when I was down at um, uh, Portland trying to see, uh, see if I could get a guided tour of the Lake Conda fish traps. And uh, unfortunately, I was put off by the husband of a friend who I later realised I think was quite racist and saying, oh, it's not worth seeing, da-da-da, you know. Right. Um, and I've always thought, oh, I wish I hadn't listened <laughs> Well <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's um, you know, obviously uh, very extensive, very interesting, and um at that time there were Aboriginal guides who could show you around apparently.
1: Well it um, looks as if it is now going to be set up as yes, more um, of a going
6: concern for, which is yeah, fabulous. Which By the
1: way, fantastic. I also think I
6: can um help Robert know, tell him where the robins go. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> um because I'm a bird watcher. Good, aren't you? Uh, they go up to the high country in summer. They're at insectivorous, so when it's ah. very cold for the insects, they come down here, which is why we see them in the winter. Right. And they, yeah, they are most gorgeous little birds—flame um, robins and and oh, we've got about six different kinds of well, four different kinds of the of the red robins, uh, okay. flame. And I'm just my mind's now gone blank. Um, there's the crimson. Mm, No, I better not say it. I'll give the wrong information. But anyway, yes, yes, they're all beautiful.
0: Oh, fantastic. Anyway, um,
6: yes, look, and I am down at Travana Normandy. I I am Jill from East Brighton, but I have fled (laughs) East Brighton because we've had a a rat die on our roof.
4: Oh.
6: And I cannot find it. (laughs) Oh, dear. Must have burrowed under the insulation somewhere, and uh, I've been up mm. crawling around amongst the, the spider webs and. It's just hideous. Oh dear! <laughs> it's a Luckily, smell, we've got a bolt it? hole at Tramana. Mm, right. <laughs> but um, I was ringing up because quite a long time ago, one of the uh, I don't know who it was on mention um, I've got you know this terrible sandy soil. Well, it's not terrible. It's great to work with sandy soil in East Brighton. You know, I'm on the sand belt. I've been pouring mulch into it for best part of thirty years, and I still. You know, throw a party if I see a worm it's it just the, the mulch just disappears without trace um, and somebody suggested to imp- improve the soil structure bentonite clay and you can water it in apparently mix it up and, and water it in I tried to get it from my local nursery and they'd never heard of it do any of you know about it and, and if so where I might source it
7: well,
3: we're all looking blankly <laughs> yeah, at each other. Yeah. I've actually tried to find it at d- different times myself. <clears throat> Funnily enough, you can find it as a. We um, can find clays that are used as in, in face packs and things like that. But of course, that's going to be too expensive. Mm-hmm. Kitty litter is often bentonite clay. If what, what you is look sorry? on the kitty litter. Oh, really? <laughs> Stuff that cats kind yeah, of yeah, go yeah, to the toilet. Yeah. in. I don't know
6: about kitty litter. Yeah, so
3: have a look at that. On the side of the packs of those, it often says bentonite clay. Oh, and yeah, okay. Yeah, that's one source, but, of course, that's not a very large amount. You can occasionally buy it in packets. I think maybe I hesitate to say from Bunnings or from a really big, decent nursery, which I don't know the nursery down at germano Penny may know don't a big worry. nursery down there. Look,
6: I w- <laughs> Look Don't I worry, think I'll be there, graving one of, yes, one of our I mean, sorry, um, going back to town soon.
1: Yep. One of our Australian companies and I can't remember which one it is now has brought out a line of these soil oh, amendments because mm. it's always things, difficult to get right. in, in mm. smaller bags so that so that you can get mm. um, you know washed river sand you yep. can get a whole range Reliably. of different things. Mm and i know that i've seen them in bunnings and i can't remember the supplier's name
4: you know mm. the manufacturer who's oh, doing okay. like Look, right it like right grow or rich it, grow or it's like one that. of those mm. um mm.
1: but if you if you go to one of Mitre at 10 or bunnings or one of the big stores mm. i'm sure yep. you will see them on there and they're about they're about they're not big, I remember. They're that. not huge, mm, mm. but they're big enough to be useful in small areas of the yeah, garden. Yeah, look, you know,
6: and, and probably given my age and back, et cetera, I'll only be doing a small <laughs> section at a time if it's a matter yeah. of having to uh, mix it up in water and pour it on. Right. Um, if it's in kitty litter, could I just sprinkle it about? Or do you think it wouldn't mix in with the sand?
3: Well, I, I can't. if it really is just bentonite clay, as the kitty, kitty litter says, I can't see how it would be any different.
6: Uh, sorry, you mean... Any different,
3: yeah, any different from buying it in a bag. Maybe the one in a bag's yeah. better quality. And you
6: see, but, but I'm just thinking in terms of a, as a mix of, of uh, how, how I get it to mix with my soil. Should I actually sort of melt it down in water and water it in, or should I just sprinkle it about?
3: I would have thought you could have sprinkled it as you do with gypsum yeah. or anything I'll like that so. and so so incorporate too. And, lightly. And I'm not sure watering. that you
1: actually have to have bentonite clay. I mean, I, just oh, think I don't know clay, about that. Yeah, clay, know, clay, yeah. clay. That would be added was the to, old idea, wasn't it? Yeah. You had
3: river sand to clay, and you add yeah, clay to, to yeah, sand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah. So
1: you know, don't. That's a really good don't point. Don't necessarily get sucked in by the idea. That, that They're the paying lot lots bentonite. of money. Yeah, mm. the, mainly mm. the bentonite clay is used for facial packs and yeah. all those <laughs> yeah. sort of things. So um, that's going <laughs> yeah, to be I must expensive.
6: Never tried that. No, nor have I. No. no. Yes, and look at your. Discussion about the the flamethrower weed, flame weeder thing. Yep. That's very interesting because I've got a, a a big gravel drive here, and mm. I've got a I had a, a long brick drive up in town, which I deliberately said no, I don't want it cemented in because you know I, I wanted the, the rain to hydrate the soil and to be mm. environmental yes. Of course, it's given me such a weed problem, and I have I've had to resort to. Spraying, um, which I hate doing, but I've had to do that for years. But I'd love the idea of never doing it again. Yep. Uh, and um, the little flamethrower—that sounds like a, a great idea. But you think about two hundred and fifty dollars; it well, might be a worthwhile for me for the two.
1: You, there is a cheaper solution, um, and as I said, I know Diggers sells these um, these other ones for about eighty something dollars. Yeah,
6: but they're only part of the kit, aren't they? Well,
1: you can just buy um, disposable gas. Um, small ones, gas yep. cylinders that you put on these ones, and that 's what i 'm still investigating is you mm. should be able to also, even with the diggers ones to get a um, a reinforced um, attachment pipe yes. that runs from that to an ordinary an ordinary barbecue gas thing that you can put on a I mean, we've got a, a trolley that you move fridges and things with at yeah, home. We and have if you've to, had something yep. like that, you mm. could sit mm. the mm. cylinder sit on that, you can yeah. connect yeah. them. Yeah, and mm. and um, it's something like that 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 I know diggers use. I so,
6: oh, oh, we're right next door to diggers here at Dramana, So Yeah, uh, ah, well, right.
1: go in and have a talk to them. I I went yeah. in and and um, interrogated them last week to find out <laughs> what, what the alternatives <laughs> Frishly, were. To...
6: Freshly interrogated, yeah. they should have the info for me.
1: Well, I would hope so. But I the thing that bothered me was that by using the small, Gas Mm. cylinders, they're disposable, and I hate using anything that just gets thrown out. Absolutely. So I I really wanted to um, have a look at other alternatives. So I'm still working on this, but I'll let you all know when I've got it all sorted.
6: Oh, well, look, that would be wonderful because, yeah, particularly now that. Europe has banned glyphosate. That will hopefully,
3: a bit like the drought, brought out a lot of grey water useful things and lots Mm. of different water harvesting, Mm. innovative water harvesting. Hopefully that sort of action will now... Um, promote more industry in uh, steam weeders and flamethrowers mm. and uh, organic... I forget, I forgot to actually mention... They're, they're actually
1: like, not flamethrowers. Can I Oh, sorry, fl- Sorry. <laughs> know, <laughs> saying, sorry. have a sleep morning. Sorry, Penny. <laughs> no,
3: no,
1: that's just I just people thing to it. us might sort of be thinking <laughs> that you stand <laughs> back, you know, 100 metres. <laughs> <and laughs> <really laughs> quite <laughs> quite
3: you can cook your dinner at the same time. <laughs> Reenacting
1: combat up so, and down the drive. Yeah, look, they're, they're actually really safe. You do need to be obviously very careful about using them in summer, mm-hmm. um, but yes. you're, you're doing it in a very restricted area. And, and the one thing I will make sure, I was thinking the other day, of when I get one, is that I will make sure my husband moves all the cars before he starts because I hate <laughs> <start> to <laughs> one of the tyres uh. on fire by
6: Yes, and <laughs> but, just yeah. things like, you know, here with that Dow at Dramana, a lot of leaves on the gravel drive, so rake everything up before you start Absolutely. because that could, yes, yeah. yes, yeah, because
3: yes. yeah. mm-hmm.
1: you really just want to target the weeds. And you don't actually, when you're doing the the burning, you don't um, turn them black, you just make them wilt. Yes.
3: Oh, that's Sorry. a good... It's
1: exactly. interesting it's actually, distinction. Yeah. Mm, you incinerate
6: yep. them, you just zap them.
1: Yeah, yep. mm. yep. exactly. Yep. So it doesn't use as much gas as you might think it's going to. And yep. I think we've got someone Yes. Um,
0: I was just going to say, while you're there, Jill, yep. um, we've had two callers in, one being Roger Elliott. Uh, Roger's rung in to say that you can get bentonite clay from agricultural suppliers, for example, E Muir. E Muir? E, e. 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 Muir. E. E. Muir. M-U-I-R. Right. And another caller, Ben, has also said that he got some from Ringwood Pottery and the two women there were very helpful and he got good results.
6: Oh, terrific. Okay. So there's some
0: more ideas for you.
6: Oh, thank you. Wonderful, wonderful.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've written it down. uh, Okay. Wonderful.
8: Thank them both, (laughs) please.
0: (laughs) We They'll hear you.
4: Listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay.
6: Yes. Okay, look, thanks so much for all of that. That's just um, very, very helpful.
0: Okay, and good luck with the house back in Melbourne.
6: Oh, thanks. I think I might have another go and I get back <laughs> crawling <laughs> around in the roof space. With
0: okay. Terrible
6: smell. Okay, bye.
0: Bye. Uh, very quickly, we'll go to uh, Anne, who's out in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne.
9: Oh, uh, good morning, panel. I'm actually calling from Broadmeadows. I'm still in hospital. Right. So there's a bit of background noise going on. I hope you can bear with me. Right. Uh, I've got a a gardening question. Uh, It concerns birds and chooks in particular. There's a plant called Braxia family cabbage plant for chooks. And they love eating that. And you can eat it yourself.
3: As well, so I was wondering where can I buy one? Do you mean perennial kale? And is that what you mean, or because perennial uh, kale I is a know. brassica that you, that chicken is really good for chicken feed, mm. as as most brassicas yeah, are. Really, I
2: was going to say I any thought, brassica I thought,
0: they can I get I would their have thought any brassica they'd love. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes,
2: maybe collard greens as well, perhaps. Yeah,
1: yeah. could be. And, there's um, uh, the most recent issue of Organic Gardener has actually got an article all about different collard greens mm-hmm. and kales and that sort of thing you know, but you never read you about really it it from is, the library.
3: It's very yeah. infrequently yeah. Um, described in Australia. That's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
9: And also, while well, I've got you here. Uh, I believe that there's a spray you can put on cacti for helping to uh, prevent them from getting frostbites. Is that true? And if it's True.
2: Where could I buy the spray? It, it 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 is it does work to some extent, um, Anne. But it doesn't it doesn't um, guard hundred percent against them getting frost damage. Um, it's a, it's an anti-transparent spray, and and most most nurseries would sell would sell that. Um, um, it's it stops the plants from uh, losing too much water. Um, and th- and that kind of guards them against a bit of a bit of frost, but it will it will only it will only help to um, uh, stop frost from settling to some extent. It's not it's not a foolproof method. Um, so if, if you find your succulents are getting a little bit frost burnt, then it it probably will help. But if you are if your succulents are getting turned to complete mush, um, then I'd be I'd be moving them undercover as well as yes. using an anti-transport. Or throwing a cover over them. Yeah, yeah that would right. be all easier. about
9: position, wouldn't
2: it? Yeah, absolutely.
9: Yeah. And, uh, yes, I've written also uh, a little tribute to 3CR. It's a short poem. Uh, roses are varied, violets are blue, I love giant cypress and little impatience. <laughs> And of all the really good radio shows, 3CR is the top in the station.
0: Okay. <laughs> <That's> lovely. <laughs> Thanks, <Anne. laughs> Thanks, Ed. Bye. Right, bye All the best. Bye. Now, I'm delighted to say that uh, online we have Claire Cregan. Good morning, Claire. Oh, hi, Pam. Thank you for talking to us this morning. And I, I wanted to uh, have a chat to you because uh, you've just recently put out a book called Miniscapes Create Your Own Terrarium and uh, it's, it's a fantastic little book. Um, now, first of all, tell listeners what inspired you to get into, well, physically <laughs> involved with, with terrariums because it's something that a lot of us saw that our, our grandparents had. and um, But I think they're coming back in, aren't they?
7: Yeah, well, I think they've been coming back in for quite a while. Um, well, I've been doing it for about seven years now, so I've definitely seen seen them um, the popularity popularity rise quite dramatically recently. Um, I, I I studied design, and I was working in the film industry for quite a while, and I found a little terrarium um, book from the seventies in an op shop years ago, and I was. I was always quite captivated by all the little gardens and and I started making them just as a hobby um this this was yeah seven or eight years ago, and um I was just filling any little container that I could find with little plants and and um watching them grow and then when I first had my first child, I had to sort of swap swap what I was doing and find something a bit more family friendly and it was about that time that they they sort of came were starting to come back in so yeah quite organically they sort of turned into this business which mm. was really nice and um, and then yeah miniscapes the the book sort of came along and that was a really nice way to um, wrap it all up and sort of put it out there so people could make their own terrariums
0: now there are some basic principles to terrariums aren't there now yeah. um, Firstly, as you mentioned in the book you 've got um, basically two different types of containers, which dictates a lot of what you 're going to plant inside, and that 's either whether it, the container is closed or whether it 's open
7: yeah that 's right, so the closed containers um, they 're for plants that like a lot of moisture, so some of your tropical plants and your ferns and um, things that that like to be um, moist and then the open containers. Um, are generally for succulents and cacti and other woodlandy kind of plants that don't mind um, um drying out a little bit more mm. so it's fair
0: to say that that with the closed containers um they they basically water themselves they' yeah. they're, they're fairly low maintenance provided you've got um a good balance within the container itself
7: yeah that's right, so if they 've got a a lid on them um they create a little ecosystem. And that can go, um, you know, years without opening. And um, I, I occasionally open ones that are closed just to give them a clean out inside because sort of like a fish, fish tank, they get a bit, sort of the glass gets a bit um, grubby after a while. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you can see them, you know, there's there's one on the internet that you can see that there's it hasn't been open for 20 years or something. It's just completely full of foliage and it's completely overgrown. <laughs> and, um, yeah, because well, all the moisture is trapped inside, so... If it's a a good balanced system, then that can go for for a really long time.
0: Now, you you talk about actually um, setting one up right from scratch, which is fantastic because you you, you give very, very clear uh, instructions to the readers, um, but you you specifically mention building up um, layers when you're setting up a terrarium.
7: Yeah, that's right. So because the terrarium doesn't have any drainage, the containers are completely closed at the bottom. Um, So the the bottom layer, you would have to have um, some pebbles or some little stones or something so that the the moisture, when you do um, water, it's not sitting directly in the soil. So you'd have a layer of the pebbles, then you can have a layer of... Sometimes I sometimes put something between the soil and the pebbles just to stop oil dropping through it's sort of more of a aesthetic thing for me yes um just to make it clear from the outside um and then yeah and then you'd have um you also also use some charcoal
0: now Um, what's the purpose of the horticultural charcoal
7: claire the charcoal um it it removes odors and it just stops the um it it sort of absorbs all of the um uh i don't i'm not exactly the technical (laughs) reason for it but it tends to absorb um, a lot of the smells and it also stops the soil from going um, more, like mouldy. Um, I tend to use it in all of ours so that the, the soil, um, it's almost like, it's kind of like a filter system, I okay, guess. Okay, yes. Yeah, almost like in um, a tropical fish tank where you use charcoal as well. It sort of filters filters the water and um, um, so you'd have a layer of charcoal, a layer of soil and then you pop your plants in and And then sometimes I have pebbles and rocks and um, little decorations, so it's like a little landscape on the top layer as well.
0: Mm. Now, the other thing I gather that you really need to be careful about is um is not allowing um any bacterias or or problems of that sort. So, for instance, you you say that um if you if you're watering the plants in there, you use filtered water, not tap water
7: yeah um you probably wouldn't have too much problem with using tap water but um it's always good if you can um to, to use either rainwater or f- filtered water um just because if it, any any little um, um, things get into the terrarium it does sometimes cause mold cause mold or sometimes you might get a little mushrooms or but generally if you're using a really high quality potting mix um, that generally it it will be fine with any of those um with any of the waters like if you use tap water in australia you, know, you wouldn 't probably have any problems
0: right right um, and then you go on to talk about um, a, a wonderful section about uh, some of the the um, <clears throat> different um, plants that you you put in the, uh, different ideas um, and what plants are suitable for what types of terrarium so you even you even recommend things like um, not only succulents, but air plants, tropical plants, um, what you call desert plants, um, which are more your, your cacti's and um, and succulents, and and then you have a little um, section on actually propagating some of these, so particularly stem cuttings, leaf cuttings. So uh, it really gives listeners a wonderful idea of, of the sort of range of plants you can put into
8: these.
7: Yeah. Well, I always found when, when I first started making the the terrariums, I just couldn't find plants that were small enough for the terrariums. I think now um, you f- you'll find if you go to any of those bigger nurseries, they will have a terrarium section with all the little plants in it. Right. But, but for a while there, I was having to make um, a lot of my own little plants to fit inside.
8: <laughs> right.
7: But they are very easy. A lot of those plants are very easily, uh, easily propagated from either leaf or, yeah. Yep. Um, some of the cuttings that you can do quite easily with succulents.
0: Excellent. Now, the other thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is um, that light is also um, uh, something that you need to think about depending on, on what type of plants you have in there, of course. whether yeah. you know, you, So you don't want direct sunlight?
7: No, no direct sunlight on the terrarium because the, the light will f- sort of fry the plants underneath because of the glass. It's almost like a magnifying glass. Yes, yeah, sure. So the... Um, um I mean they they love light light indirect sunlight but the some of the tropical plants that sort of live um that, that would live naturally sort of in a rainforest can can handle a bit lower light so you can have them in bathrooms or places that don't have a lot of sun sunlight Excellent the, the succulents and the cacti and those kind of plants they do like a bit more sun
0: yes right okay and and um of course, then, um, towards the the rear of the book you 've actually got um a whole range of different projects, as you title them, but they they 're terrariums um based on themes um, if you like and and some of them look like the most uh, perfect project to to undertake with children. I think children would love making their own their own little terrarium and um, you mentioned, you know, you could make like a, a fairy garden in one or, or um, uh, a desert one they'd be attracted to or, or even um, one depicting, I don't know, pirates or red Indians or because yeah. you, you can personalise them so much, yeah, can't that's you? right, my, my kids.
7: My kids love making them. They've got quite a few around the house, and there's always little dinosaurs, or you know, cars lost in the forest, or there's little people in some of them. And yeah, it's a really it's a great way to do a gardening project with kids, and then they can look after it, and or not look after it, and it'll be fine, and <laughs> they can watch it grow.
0: Fantastic!
7: So, yeah, it's really fun. Okay.
0: Um, now you've also got a website. Um, do you want to tell listeners about the website?
7: Um miniscapes.net is um is our is our website and um we've got a few more projects on there that people can have a look at. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Um and I think you can also buy the book through the there's a link on there to the to the um book.
0: Okay. As well. But the book is readily available through most bookshops?
7: Yeah, it's through Hardy Grant and it's in um most most book, good bookshops. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Uh, now, recommended retail price is twenty nine ninety five, and as I say, the title is Miniscapes, um, Create Your Own Terrarium by Claire Cregan. Claire, congratulations on it. Oh, I think thank you. you've written it so very clearly with with um, really precise instructions that um, I'm sure anyone that's never ever made a terrarium before would actually um, Know exactly what to do by the time they've 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 read the book and followed the instructions. So I think you've done it oh, really great. beautifully. Oh, that was the plan. Thank you. Yeah. No. Well done. <laughs> so thank you so much for talking to us this morning and good luck with it.
7: Oh, great! Thank you for having me. Okay. Bye. Thanks.
1: Bye. Pam, can I just say that it's one of the nicest designed books that I've seen in a <coughs> long time. I, I just think it's lovely the way the the praise. way yeah the way it's been put together and and. Um, you know, it's just, it's beautiful. It's the sort of book that is a beautiful gift book so that, you know, it would be a pleasure to give it to someone because you just turn the pages and it looks fantastic as well as having good information in it.
0: The photographs are wonderful yeah, yeah. And, and, as I say, the, the instructions are great and, and some of the projects at the back, some of the, the various mm, terrariums the that, that um yeah. made are just wonderful. Um And I have to say, this is like a a pre-radiothon teaser, but um, <laughs> Clare has been, has been very kind to us and she's actually uh, given us two books. So um, for the first two listeners that phone in, we are doing a, a pre-radiothon supporter segment this morning. Um, so uh, for the first two listeners that like to phone in, and I'll give the number again in a minute, we... Um, You can have one of these books for $30. This will go towards our our Radiothon total uh, next week. But uh, for $30, not only can you have the book, if you want to post it out, I will throw in the postage of that as well. So for $30, um, or if you want to come into the station and collect it during the week from the office, but uh as I say we've only got two books, and they're wonderful little books, particularly if you'd like to to do some of these little projects with uh, your own children or grandchildren they would They would have such delight and then they'd have their own little miniature garden to keep in their bedroom and and to to watch and see how mm. it grows over many years so the number nine four one nine zero one double five that's nine four one nine zero one double five. For miniscapes create your own terrarium by clear cregan all right we will we'll go to our next caller and we have uh helen in coolaroo good morning helen
10: uh good morning panel um th- thanks for a great program i've got three questions yes. uh, the first one is about avocados i've got a self-sown avocado which is about two meters in height um I've heard that you can uh, cincture the trunk of the tree to make make it flower. And I just wondered if anybody had any comments on that.
1: Uh, Look, I find in my garden that my avocados flower without having to do anything to them. But certainly cincturing a tree, any fruit tree, will will force it into Mm flower. So uh, you could try that. But I would really be thinking about planting a second avocado Right. Um, Because they do need cross-pollination for good fruiting. Your problem is going to be that you don't know what yours is. Yeah,
0: exactly.
3: Yes. But... Look, it's... It'll uh, take a lot longer to get fruit with a seedling variety yeah, too. indeed. You know, maybe 10 years is what's yeah. often mentioned. I mean, you can be really lucky, but it's a little yeah. bit like winning a lottery. And, right. and
1: it's, sometimes it's worth wandering your neighbourhood and peering over your neighbour's fences because if they've got avocados, then then you may not need to plant more. But, right. um the other thing, avocados can grow into really big trees, some mm-hmm. of them. So mm. the other thing you need to I understand think. is that you can prune them. So mm-hmm. I've I'm actually keeping mine down to quite small trees. They and seem to so quite so far, like pruning, don't they? They've responded mm. really well to pruning. So and mm. they still flower each year no matter, you know, mm. how hard you cut them back. Right. Um so I yeah, look I I'm not sure that I would bother cincturing at the moment, particularly okay. if it's only a couple of years old, it's unlikely to flower anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and they it will probably flower, but I would seriously consider getting a second one. A grafted right. one. A grafted one mm-hmm. that you know what it is and that it's a relatively cool climate one. And from our experience, maybe, just maybe, talking, has. maybe a has is the one you <laughs> want Bacon to go was for. the recommendation,
0: but now we'd say yes. Yeah. Mm. There also are some, um, some smaller varieties now mm. coming out onto the market as well. That's I know true. Diggers has a much smaller one. Yeah. Yep. Do you mean Wurz or
3: Pinkerton, by the way? Pinkerton. Oh, Pinkerton. Yeah, I haven't tried yeah. Pinkerton yet.
0: Well, that's the yeah. one I've I've just right. planted, so... I've
3: just bought one. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> because Pinkerton has thin bacon should give a very long period of the mm-hmm. year. I think I worked to that. It was something like nine months of avocados. Okay. So, yes. You know, you should yep. get a good spread. Yes. Okay. All right. Make room for right. more. Right. That's what we're saying, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> I get the message. Uh, second question, compost.
10: When I've been emptying the compost bin, I've noticed these little bright green... Uh, about the size of um um like the fertilizer granules
4: mm-hmm.
10: um, but it's obviously not uh, fertilizer i'm just wondering if that's uh, the egg of some beneficial insect or whether i should be fishing them out <laughs> and getting rid of them
2: the bright mm. the bright green thing has thrown me i'm trying mm. to think yeah. of what it I might can't be Are they they see something
3: that didn't need. get no, broken it's down water.
10: They always seem to appear in in the compost bin when I empty it out, so... Mm. Look, That's if
1: nice. you haven't had problems from it before, I don't think I'd worry about it. Mm. I think okay. I'd you know, just assume it's another part of a breakdown process of something mm. um, and put it out in the garden anyway.
10: All right, okay. And finally, uh, peach pruning. Some references seem to indicate autumn and others spring, so I'm just... Uh a bit confused. Uh, <coughs> confused as to when the best time to uh, prune a peach.
1: I wouldn't prune it until after you harvest it in summer.
10: So, as in autumn, pruning.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it depends what time it fruits. But peaches, nectarines um, should be, and apricots should be pruned in summer. Um, yeah, at this time of year, you could do a bit of getting rid of anything dead, um, mm-hmm. getting rid of any suckers on the trunk. If there's anything that is majorly sort of crossing over, um, you could cut that out. But I wouldn't do any pruning of your fruiting branches. Right. I would let it go. What What happens if you prune this year is that you get really strong growth and the trees end up being really bigger than you want them to be. Right. Whereas when you prune – and you also have the problem of d- possible disease, and that's the main reason for pruning mm. these particular ones in summer – so um, prune prune after you've harvested. So for me, um, with my nectarine, I harvest late December, early January usually. Um, uh-huh. So I try and prune straight after that, but quite often it's a couple of months later by the time I get around to <laughs> it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's when you should be doing your big prune. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: That number, if you'd like to join us this morning, nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. James, what's happened? The shed's gone.
2: The shed's gone. Do you know what you're
0: doing with the area now? Well,
2: well we we got the we got the back fence replaced because the neighbours that lived across the other side of the alleyway they had a they had like a pagola built in their backyard and they brought a little mini excavator in and I think they've they've kind of ran into our fence at some point along the way and neglected to tell us and year and a half later after a bit of rain and weather, um, we took the shed down and it was clear the fence needed replacing but insurance covered it, and we now have a gate into the alleyway so oh great it 's given me much better access than I ever had before, which is good fantastic um, yeah um, but i 'm still i 'm still kind of kicking ideas around for how i'm going how i 'm going to lay the backyard out um, and i 'm kind of oh, it sounds terrible but i 'm kind of leaning away from having a lot of it as a as as productive and edible um, kind of stuff, purely for for water reasons, really. I've, right. I kind of look look at the productive garden that I have at the moment, and I just think if I am gonna if I am gonna <laughs> change, you know, make it three times as big as it is now, then it's going to take a lot of water. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm kind of erring on the side of um, maybe having much more. Um, ornamental stuff in there that I had before, um, and and working a bit of uh, design into that as well. But um, I'm still I'm still not sure. But time is of the essence. Um, I really I really need to do, you know, start shoveling some things around and digging out pathways and that kind of stuff. Um, but no, it's look, it's good, it's good. But um, the weeds are kind of winning at the moment, mm-hmm. so I need one of those flamethrowers. I think <laughs> <laughs> they're not flamethrowers. <laughs> now you're going to get rid of
4: them. <laughs> Uh,
0: but you, you from um, from memory, you kept the base, yes, the concrete, yes, yes, base. absolutely, yes,
2: yeah. Yep. So I'm gonna I'm gonna build a couple of wicking beds on top of that. I think as a means of uh, well, there you go, getting yeah, around
3: yeah. it. <coughs> doesn't need water at all. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. You've solved <laughs> your own problem.
1: Yeah. Surely there are productive plants that are. Need as little water as ornamental plants. Oh, absolutely, so absolutely. Sure Why? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I
2: didn't mean to be disparaging. No, yeah. just, I was just thinking. I mean, things like, like for
1: joets for instance. Yeah, oh, exactly. absolutely. Which they need, yeah. need drought-tolerant yeah. fruit, and, and they're beautiful. Of. They can mm. be fabulous bushes. They're beautiful in flower. I saw so,
2: a cracking one on the dog walk yesterday, actually, um, yeah. in a in a garden that is is basically just neglected, and mm. and it's mm. and it's right on the footpath, yeah. and mm. it's this beautiful small tree, and the bark mm. on it itself is gorgeous. Bark, as be, well.
3: um, strawberry uh, strawberry guavas and yellow cherry guavas, they also if you do the grow them up into trees, have beautiful almost crepe myrtle sort of mm-hmm. bark too. Mm-hmm. They're very rarely grown into that size tree. But they can also be, you know, hedged and you can mm. use them as I don't know what your circumstances are mm. in the garden, but you know, you can use them in all different wa- all sorts of different ways and they're really um, very tolerant of low moisture levels too, and they'll fruit really well. And
2: they're delicious as well. Delicious, nice, yeah. They make a nice and
1: sorbet. They, and they another. start coming into fruit when other things are starting mm. to stop mm. so that they cover that, that some of that period of sort of winter when there's not quite so much mm. fruit around. Absolutely. So, you know, I think they're, they're great plants, so I would be careful about going down that path. I mean, we all want some ornamentals, but... Um, you know there are yeah, there are fruiting plants that mm, that mm, actually mm. do very well with very and, little water, and
3: uh, then some native herbs and things like that. There's a whole stack yeah, of things true. you can use, man yeah, saltbush. Um, yeah, old which man, saltbush doesn't need much
2: water. I've got quite a bit of saltbush down the side of the house, actually, mm. covering just basically put whacked in a whole suite of things, maybe three or four species, um, just to just, try them out. Or something. Just well mm. to cover the ground and to stop mm. stop the weeds kind mm. of taking over mm. until I had time to do other things with the space and. Um, as a consequence, I've found that I've got a lot. I've got a lot of um, a lot less white flying things in the mm. garden. I think because mm. they attract a lot of beneficial insects, the saltbush mm. species. Yeah. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, I so that. I'm I'm kind of looking at it now, and I'm just kind of hedging it and thinking I'll just keep it as a little insectary or mm. something because it mm. seems to have this.
3: Which ones working in that way?
2: Um, I've got uh, Rigodia condeliana, Oh, okay, um, yes. and that hedges up really beautifully. Actually, mm. that mm. that hedges really really nicely. Um, and, uh, Inardia, Inardia has Tata. Oh, not a yeah. oh, which one? Has Tata.
3: Oh, okay. Not Newton's. Mm.
2: Um, and they're, they're both kind of scrambling up the mm. fence and both hedging up really well. But, um, but, but yeah, they have this, mm. they have this added benefit of, um, Harboring a whole lot of critters that are going to eat problem critters in the veggie patch, so yeah, mm.
4: so are there, there,
3: it's a good are The are ones that you've mentioned are they traditional salt bush?
2: Um, no, no. They, I mean, I'll, not, not the one. There's
3: so many. Um, I got interested in them in the beginning because I was putting grey water on my garden during the drought, and I thought, oh, I need to find more things that are salt water mm. tolerant, mm. out of interest, and then started using all these. And also, I was interested in the fact that all these Chenopodiaceae were low water use edible plants. Like mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's lots of other. Um, Exotic plants as well, but the old man's salt bush to me is the the old man's salt bush for the leaves, dried or fresh, and also in, in salads or in cooking too, uh, and also the um, ruby salt bush, the Encalina tomentosa. They're my two favourites. So the Encalina has you know the largest of the sweety of the salty sweet berries yep. that you can really actually use, mm. and that's quite a nice little shrub. And uh, yeah, and then the old man's salt bush mm. is quite a big shrub that uses you know no water at all. Mm. Mm. Really arid plant with beautiful big silver leaves. And then the coastal saltbush is really pretty yeah. too. So what was the one was... that
1: you had at Mifkids?
3: That would have been old man saltbush. Right. Okay. Um, um, Atroplex Nomularia, decock. So that's a South African um, bred cultivar mm. of our native plant. A bit like right. the macadamias being yeah. improved in Hawaii. They, it was improved. There. Beautiful big leaves though, really mm. frilly soft looking leaves. So very <laughs> ornamental. Mm. Yeah, look into that one, um, old man saltbush, but the decoq variety and also the coastal saltbush has that. Neither of them want moisture at all, and the, they both have really silvery
11: foliage. Mm.
0: Mm. Excellent. We'll go next to uh, Harry, who's out in Northcote. Good morning, Harry. Uh,
11: good morning, Pam and team. Thank you for your program. Uh, I just wanted to add to the avocado theme. Right. This morning. Uh, I have an avocado tree which is over 12 years old now, and it faces north and is adjacent to a brick wall. And what I have observed in the last two years, I've picked over 100 avocados per year from the tree. And what I've done differently is that I've used a nettle tea foliar spray. Mm, Right. And um, what I did see was, when I did spray it the first time around, um, it was completely covered with flies, and uh, I assume that it helped with pollination. Um, okay. Also, to add to that, it started fruiting, I'd say, late April, and we still do have a number of fruit on it now.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Fantastic. Excellent. That's Fantastic. Um, do you know
11: what variety it is, Harry? Ah, uh, yes, it's a bacon variety. Uh, yes, rather oh, than bacon you're doing variety. well. <laughs> so yes, you are do doing you, well. Do
1: you know if yeah. you've got other avocados in your area nearby? Um, so, and getting some cross pollination.
11: I'm not sure about that, Pam. Okay. But, Ed, um, I am a member of the Darabin Backyard Harvest, and I open my garden. I Think it's in November. Right. And I share this information with a small group, and I thought I would share it with a wider audience.
1: Great. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, nettle tea does some amazing things. I mean, I've known about it for a long time as a fertilizer, but not mm. necessarily as a to help with pollination. I mm. think that's a really interesting bit yeah, of information. So, so I I thank you.
11: I have, used it, I have used nettle tea uh, for the trace elements. Mm. And um, I did notice there were quite a few flies around the bucket. And mm. that's when I thought of the idea of um, spraying the mm. avocado tree because it's very, very hard to... Yield fruit from it
1: Yes Yeah and, That's a great idea And and in Northcote You're likely to have You know A lot of Backyard Vegetable and fruit tree mm. Oh definitely So the chances definitely. are There are Other mm. avocados Yes Because that's the best yield I've heard of From a yeah. bacon so far Yeah. Yep. Okay
11: mm. So okay. I might see Someone out there at uh, In November At the uh, In my backyard.
0: (laughs) Harry, what you should do is phone in to us just before the opening and give us all the details.
11: I'll do that, Pam. Okay, excellent. Not only for myself, but all the other gardeners, Yep.
3: in the um, festival. Yep. I'll definitely do that. Thank you. Okay, bye oh, bye. I think Pam, the um, Darwin. Usually, the Darwin Harvest Gardens you have to book well in advance for those, and they're cl- they're closed viewings. So, and you oh, don't right. you don't unfortunately, because I wish I knew which one that was, because they don't give you very many details. Okay, it's very much kept to protect the gardens, pri- the gardeners, <laughs> and the garden's privacy. Which is, so you don't so, know. You kind of get a bit of a description about this garden, and you think that sounds good, and it's a time frame you can make, and so you you. You know, you put your you know, your information in to try and get a ticket for that garden, but sometimes you miss out because they, they have quite small numbers, which so is great. does but... this
0: go through Darabin Council?
3: Yes. Yeah, Darabin Council so, organises it in November. Yeah. So
0: if we contact them a bit earlier and try and get some details and when booking's open. Yes, and...
3: it gets booked out really, really quickly. Okay. It's, it's a very good festival. Okay. But, yeah, they have very small numbers. It's not It's not like open gardens... Vic, which, which is now victoria, yes, where you can have any number coming in, but yeah, that's why it wouldn't really make what well, I meant was it's not much point telling listeners on the just the close day. To the just, day because it's too yeah. late you okay. can't get in yeah. you need to know a long time in advance. okay yeah. I might contact
0: yeah. the council and try and get a bit more info as to um it's look it's fantastic when the list program. comes out and, yes <clears throat> fantastic. but it is
3: it is hard to get in, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for that. Ian. I wish I knew which one he was. Like, if I see one listed as avocado, I'll think, "Oh, well, that might be Harry." I might go and have a look at his avocado. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fantastic.
0: Um, we've had a listener ring in uh, asking uh, where to find autumn raspberries. I know we we were talking the other week about um, about uh, summer fruiting and, and autumn fruiting raspberries. Um, I was given my cane, just one cane, and and my whole um, bed of raspberries has come from that. And mine mine is a dual one, so I get I get, um, well, ranging from from beginning of summer right through, and then a mm. second crop in in autumn. But um, I think if you if you ring up any good nursery or, or mm. um, people that stock uh, particularly stock fruit mm. trees and asked for the, if that you
3: specifically want your autumn fruiting ones, I'm sure they could yep. um,
0: I know
1: diggers, find some diggers that's got both diggers mm. have got exactly. both there you go. And they
3: have very specific information in yeah. their in their, um, in their catalogs, catalogs. Yeah, yeah. Yes. about when they're fruiting. I don't I don't personally know which ones fruit. More, which ones might fruit a lot more in autumn? Because I generally find mine fruit mostly in spring mm. and then they get a second small. So yours crop are like mine, they're, yeah. they're dual fruiting ones. Yeah, mine yeah. were given to me as well, but I'm pretty sure from the descriptions that you read, I don't know, I didn't know that jewel, but I thought mine were perhaps Williamette and Nootka because they're kind of two mm. classical ones that, that will mm. fruit at that time.
0: Some are very specifically. Uh, you know, only one of the or mm. other of the seasons, though, with their fruiting. So, I think like, if you go through mm. a reputable nursery, like, like oh, yeah. diggers, diggers, or, or yeah. yep. yes, exactly, you mm. you should be able to get hold of some. Mm. Yep. Okay. And uh, the other query was, can you keep grafted eggplant in a pot for more than one season? De- yes, Absolutely. definitely. Mm. Yeah, you protect just, it from the cold. Yeah, <laughs> you might need to
1: move it into a frost-free
0: area. Yes, totally. But yeah, that, I mean, that's the whole point yep. of them to try and and keep them over winter. Yeah. Yep okay we're going next to uh, Carol who's out in East Bentley good morning Carol
8: morning Pam morning crew um I wanted to um, find out about a lemon tree I've got a Maya lemon and I've got it in a pot I've only had it for about oh, six no it might be yeah six months and I've given it food not for the winter but it, I find the leaves are going yellow and some of them are falling off what could I give it? That
0: can be the that? cold weather with lemon trees. Oh, can it? Yes. Oh, so right. I wouldn't be panicking about it unless unless your leaves have you got things like the veins in the leaf standing out as still very green, but the rest of the leaf is gone yellow, or are they going yellow right over?
8: Uh, I think it's right over.
0: I would say it's probably just the the cold weather we've
8: had. Oh, great. Can I ask another couple of questions? I bought a baronia. Yep. I've never had any luck with them, so I thought this time I'll put it in a pot and when it comes to the warmer weather, I'll put it on the south side of the house. Is that right?
0: Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> first baronia is not mine. Firstly, it depends on mm. which sort of baronia. Do you mean the pink baronias or the brown baronias? Because the they... The pink ones are hardier than the brown ones, and they can take more sun.
8: All oh, right. So easterly, would you say? Yes. Um, yes. Morning, yes. morning sun better. would be would be great. Okay, and just a, another question, if I can. The Scavolia. Yep. Scavola. Yeah. Is Scavola, is it? Yes. Is is that the African daisy? No,
0: no. it's a fan. <laughs> what we call a fan flower. It's it's an Australian
8: native. Oh right, and what about that easterly direction? Full oh, sun, full, full sun. sun, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're tough. Mm. Oh right. Oh well, thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.
0: Okay, um, we are running through until until nine fifteen. So if you do want to jump on the phones and. Uh, Dive in with a gardening question. Do give us a call. The number is nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. Penny.
1: Oh, look, I just wanted to mention the most recent edition of Organic Gardener magazine, and it's particularly good seeing Karen's here because she writes for it as well. And um, and it, I just think it's a really nice edition this year. We've got um, Annabelle Langbein talking about kiwi fruit. That's a nice one. Actually, um, well, it's a really nice, mm-hmm. nice article. Um, Peter Kandle, which I mentioned before, is all about greens. Yes, there's a really interesting article about um, written by one of the one of the Catalyst researchers, all about the gut microbiome. Okay, so talking about about that side of things and starch and resistant starch, and that's a really that's I think a really good article. Um
3: actually, can I just question, do they, does he mention um, yam daisies and that? Because they apparently No. Uh, yeah, No, just, it was no just a it's not I'll the, stop interrupting you. That's all right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, the microbiome one is not actually about food. I mean oh, it, is, it okay. is about I haven't read a, the article, that article. yet? But mm. it's not it's not specifically about right. plants that mm, we're growing mm-hmm. in the garden. Mm. So Karen's written a short thing about pistachios.
3: And... That's the first pistachio harvest, I have to say, yes. on my nature Street pistachio. Yeah, which okay. is very fantastic, exciting, fantastic. Pretty.
1: and pretty and dock, and then further in she's written about irises, um, which is a really nice really nice article and I've written about um, medicinal planning a medicinal herb garden so beautiful. and I've had a mm. nice response to that and um, in particular I'd love the illustration that Margaret Holloway did so Margaret's one of the illustrators at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens oh um, I and that. she does yeah. fabulous it is really, really lovely illustration. illustrations and I I you know it, it it took a long time to organise and lots of discussions <laughs> with Steve, the editor, and with Margaret. And I think Margaret just thought we were all mad, but she came up with such a nice illustration. So, it's it's great fun sometimes when a lot of work goes into producing an article to actually see the end result. And um, I didn't just write this particular one on my own. I, I uh, really lovely naturopath from um, Sydney uh, anthea Kularis. Um she collaborated on the medicinal uses and I've written about how to grow them so it was a it was a huge sort of collaborative effort and, and
3: the balm of Gilead's interesting too because I was given some by some other gar- some other gardeners mm. that um, I tried that I got into the open garden scheme and they grow it and drink it as a tea and, and I, it was completely new to me at the yeah. time and it's not very commonly known about and no. it's a really nice herb
1: it is it's a fabulous herb I, mm. I don't actually drink it as a tea because I find it too strong. It's I find too strong too, um, but, but it makes a fabulous inhalant for um, winter. Yeah, I found that really interesting. So, I thought, oh, yeah. finally
3: some information, yeah. and also I found yeah. out why mine died because of your of your mention how it needs a lot more moisture. I thought, oh, yes, finally I have the answer to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, look, I just I think it's a I think it's a really nice issue this year. So uh, this sorry this year this month, with lots it's of very aesthetic. lots of interesting mm. things, mm. and and it is very aesthetic. And look, I we have these ongoing discussions about the cover of the magazine and I think the front cover's a bit silly, but it's, <laughs> apparently, it's apparently the way that, um, that younger people are going.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Although I have to say that both my kids thought it was a bit silly too and they're younger. But Cale, so, it's, it's such a hipster I, topic look, in I know, Melbourne. I look, I'll describe it to you. It's this woman in overalls. Right? It is a woman because I've seen the other photos. But she's sitting there with what looks like her arms bandaged, but they're actually... Um,
3: Arm warmers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Arm warmers. Um, you could when you and have long she's arms. She's holding. She's holding this clump of kale in front of her face. Um, so look <laughs> out for it.
3: Um, but the content is fantastic. Uh, How can you go wrong with kale? Well, apparently. Well, there's lots of people who really dislike kale, but um, yeah. Yeah. I think My if, hates it's, it. if it's
1: if it's grown like and it. cooked appropriately, then I yeah. think it can be fabulous. And one of the things a lot of people don't realise is that kale actually needs to be frozen to get the really mm. Sweet I didn't know that before. That was very so interesting information. This is and mm. I've and I've heard this now from quite a few different people and tried it myself. Is that if you chuck it in the freezer overnight, mm. it will have much after you've harvested it. Right. Um, it'll have much sweeter flavours when you cook it than if you just pick it straight from the garden. Very mm. really okay.
2: good. Hint. Yeah. We always just eat it raw in a salad with a dressing. Yeah. So the dressing kind of lightly cooks it, and I, yeah. I love the flavour of it. Yeah. I think they're delicious. Yeah. Look, it depends, mm. in,
1: but you see, it depends when you're harvesting at what mm. time of year, whether mm. it's been cold. so if you've your kale much nicer (laughs) flavour now Mm. with all this cold weather than Mm. it would have been a couple of months ago so you know people who've tried it once should Again. Mm.
3: And also, you're talking about James, how you use a lot of well, you've used a lot of water on your productive garden. But my kale, when I've grown it, when different times I've grown it, has been on my nature strip where it's not getting much water at all. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, you wouldn't probably eat it as a salad vegetable in that situation, or maybe you'd freeze it before Very you tougher. ate it to soften it mm. down a bit. So and it depends. It can which can be kale quite drought tolerant. Talking
1: about too, because I really exactly. like the Red Russian kale, which is yes has the red stems and it tends to be a more tender softer, kale, whereas mm. the Tuscan is tougher and stronger and and often gets used in different ways and scotch kale even tougher yep. but
3: very drought tolerant so yep. you know yep <laughs> <laughs> he's,
0: <laughs> he's been in trouble all morning <laughs> Poor james everyone's picking on him <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll go next to uh let me see we have uh thomas in albert park good morning thomas
10: good morning pam penny Karen, James.
0: Well done. <laughs> Thank you, Thomas.
10: That's my pleasure. Um, I've got green moss on my little concrete back garden here. How do you get it all?
1: Okay, look, my reaction to you would be to say don't. Um, I love moss. Moss is. It's, that, it's sort of maybe a green slime. Or... Oh, okay. Well, that, okay. It's not quite so okay. um, Look, It you, can be dangerous. It can be mm. dangerous if it's going to be slippery. Um, that would be the only reason I would, would move it. But, you know, moss in other areas, I, you know, I see it as just part of the garden It's um, and, you know, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be killing it off. But it uh, you can just try hot water. Mm, I was going to suggest um, that. In that kettle, situation, if that doesn't, yeah, when you've boiled your kettle, just go out and pour it over the top after you've um, made your cup of tea. Um, the other thing would be to try something like a bit of ammonia. All right. So, um, but I'd go the hot water first. Go the
3: hot water first. Hot water and a scrubbing brush.
10: Yeah, well, I had a bit of a go at that the other day and I was lying in bed this morning. I thought, look, give the guys a ring. (laughs) (laughs) I see if there's an easier way, but Mm. thank you for your time. Um,
0: Yeah, dilute even um, a little bit of pool chlorine diluted down in water.
3: Yeah, or or metho. Or I've also heard heard copper sulphate. Cop- mm. Yeah, we used to use copper sulphate, copper sulphate. for moths on lawns. Yes. I think, yeah. no, hang on, I might be getting confused. I shouldn't say that. People might kill their lawns. <laughs> I'm not a lawn expert. The problem
1: with using copper anywhere is that you're killing your fungi. Mm. And, oh, okay. Um, I just mm. don't think that we, mm. because it, it, it? it hangs around. Um, and I wouldn't use it unless you have to use it. I'd be trying something
0: else first that will sort of wash away. Mm. Try the hot water first. That's yeah. the safest
10: Well, thank you, Pam. Okay. And good luck for next week.
0: Oh, thank you. We need it.
11: (laughs) Okay. Thanks,
0: Thomas. Bye. Uh, Next we have uh, Mike, who's in Glen Iris. Good morning, Mike.
11: Good morning, Pam. Good morning, panel. Um, This question's about garlic, so I guess it's for uh, Penny. Um, I I read uh, I'm growing two types of garlic, and, uh, and they're growing quite well. But I read somewhere that uh, that once they've um, uh, developed quite well and the leaves are above the ground, you should uh, mulch them to presumably keep the weeds down. Um, But I've also read that um, onions don't like to be mulched and onions and garlic are sort of similar. So I wonder whether I'm doing the right thing, especially since some of my garlic, uh, the leaves are yellowing a bit.
1: Okay, there's a few different things there. Onions are grown very differently to garlic in some ways because onions grow above the soil. So if you've got onions in your garden and you're mulching them, then you've got the mulch right up next to the onion bulbs, Mm. which can cause disease problems. Whereas with garlic, it's growing under the soil, um, so the mulch is is absolutely fine. Nearly all organic gardeners grow their garlic using mulch because there's no other way to keep the weeds under control. Now, the only thing I'd be a bit cautious of with these sort of quite heavy rain dumps that we've been having is that the the mulch can keep the water um, closer to the top of the the soil, so keep it more moist. Um, So if we get really heavy rain, sometimes I go out and actually pull my mulch back to the edges and then put it back on again when things have dried up a bit. Um, But If your soil is reasonably well-drained, you shouldn't have a problem with with mulch. Um, The yellowing is more likely to do with a lack of nitrogen, so you may want to just give it a bit of fish emulsion or worm juice or liquid compost, something like that. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. That's very helpful. And good luck, and, and I hope your garlic does really well.
11: Well, I've I've had success in the past uh, following uh, following your instructions mainly. So, oh
2: good, <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to know. Okay, thank, good you, on you,
11: thank you for thank the you. show. It's great.
0: Okay, bye.
4: Bye.
0: Incidentally, a listener has rung in to say that Banksia Nursery in Knox stocks autumn raspberries bare rooted. So there's another um, avenue of approach. Um, okay, next we're going to Michael, who's in Caulfield. Good morning, Michael.
11: Uh, good morning. I um noticed that uh, I'm starting to get bore in a uh, flowering almond and I had one another one which I lost because I didn't know what it was now I know what it is right. but I don't know what to do about it um, I think it's you know early it's the first time I've noticed it so it's early days uh, is there anything systemically that I can put on that will kill it at all or, or what do I have to do
3: uh there systemic treatments are really really nasty Uh, what I've been taught to do by tree surgeons is you can sort of scrape away where you see the borer sometimes it's only really between the bark and the and the actual trunk of the tree so it might not have worked its way in depending on the strength and the age of the tree so if it's uh, older and weaker then the borer will get in more easily if it's stronger and younger then the borer might just sort of um, you know traipse around the outside of the tree and not really make its way in and cause too many problems. So scrape it away with a screwdriver or some sort of sharp knife and find out where they're going. And if you find they've made holes into the tree, unfortunately it's really hard to track where they're going because they go really odd directions. So you can try poking a thin piece of wire in like a paper clip unwound and you can try poking that in and see if you pull any you know poke it in and pull it out and see if you get any fleshy little borers because you often can kill them that way especially if the bunny just gone in but the next method is um, again the tree surgeon's recommendation which is using a just a fly spray just an atomized fly spray and put it up really close to the hole and spray it in because the atomizer kind of pushes the spray the insect spray into the um, into the holes. So that's uh, one good use of an atomised fire spray, I suppose. But it's very, very useful in its particular application because it follows along the um, strangely shaped, strangely directed holes that borers make that make it difficult to track with just a piece of wire. Mm-hmm. And then keep this tree stronger by mulching, fertilising, molasses around the roots... Um diluted molasses will help feed the um, micro rhizae in the soil, which will help build up this, the plant strength, and also using um, liquid seaweed solutions. So, you know, really feed it up and look after it and water it well. Because it usually means it. that, uh, yeah, the, the, plant, a the plant's a bit sick, and yeah. that's why it's, it's, it's vulnerable to yeah. attack. Mm.
5: Gotcha. That's very helpful. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, bye.
1: Bye. The, the problem with systemic... Um, poisonous is is that they go right through the tree and that they poison mm, yes. beneficial insects yes. that are feeding on the tree and yeah. and all sorts of things. So really you nasty. know, it's just I would never use a systemic
3: poison. No, horrible, horrible ever. And they, they're, they're even just to be super selfish. They're they're noxious when you're. They're dangerous to the people using them. Mm. They've also <laughs> been made. You know, even just their very making has mm. caused issues to the environment. So yeah, they there's. They're, they're a lose-lose situation, really. Yep. They're a, last, a completely last resort with perhaps be historic trees, but definitely I wouldn't be suggesting them to the general public yep. at all.
0: Mm. Horrible. Mm. Penny, <laughs> are you actually planting anything new at the moment?
1: Look, I think at this time of year, yes, I am, um, but mainly because I've had them sitting there in pots for a long (laughs) time. They just need to, so it wasn't by design. (laughs) Not really. Um, But at this time of year, one of the things that I revel in are my self sown plants. So I've got things like land and corn salad coming mm, up and mm. they're forming a large part of my sort of the greenery and salads and 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 other things um, i've I've also got quite a lot of garlic coming up um, that I've sown for garlic sprouts so I had Way too many cloves, um, so I've just shoved them in, and, and I'm using a lot of garlic sprouts. That so was a
3: that, nice mention in this month's organic garden as well, well that wasn't was it? Delivery. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah,
1: because a lot of people talk about, and it's this time of year that you get that gap when it can be hard mm. to get mm. Australian garlic. So, um, mm. it, rather than buying imported garlic, you can look at things like growing your own garlic sprouts, which are really easy to grow. Um, so I've been using those a lot, particularly in soups and, you know, chop, mm. chopping them up and just putting them the up. the the scrambled surface eggs as the, well. Yeah, beautiful and really scrambled tasty. eggs. And, mm. and all sorts of different ways of using them. In the same way as you'd use spring onions, you can use garlic yes. sprouts in exactly yes. the same way. And my perennial leeks are the other thing. They're all just newly coming back up through the mm. soil. I've got great big clumps of them. And I'm using them in all sorts of things. So I, I'm really enjoying the things that I actually haven't had to do anything to create. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. They're just you sandy they're soil, just people. You, I have so yeah. much more
3: trouble growing perennial legs than my yeah. friend down in Hobart with her sandy soil. They grow massive. Yes. Yeah. So and, frustrating. Oh well, no, I've got clay. <laughs> oh, oh, really? So, I thought you must have sand being no, down no, there. And I thought, no, well, how come your perennial clay. legs are growing so no, well? Clay. Um, and the, <laughs> other,
1: the other thing that I've got is doing really well in the garden at the moment is my red stemmed celery. So red stem mm. celery is an old fashioned mm. celery that's been around for a long time. There are now some modern cultivars mm. that have used the red stem celery, but mine self sows around the garden. And yeah, nice. I've got lots of mm. little ones coming up, but I've got one big clump and it's the one that I'm using all the time for my soups and stir fries and mm. all sorts of things. So Similar flavour? Um. Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. It's it's a really nice flavor. It's um. Uh, you know the the Asian celery is quite a strong mm. flavor. It's mm. not quite as strong, but it has a really. It's a really nice flavor. It's. I I love it. I mm. don't bother growing any other celery. So like, this is the one that I've I never. Grown. I've, I've
3: seen it, but I've never um tried to grow it before. So yeah. it's very interesting. and it's just
1: and it's another one that self so that mm. when my clump goes to seed, I just let it go to seed. I then mm. pull it out, and it'll come up somewhere else in the garden, and I'll just
3: accommodate it wherever. Mm. That, um,
1: beautiful so, colour, um, yes, that beautiful the colour, having a beautiful reddish colour, so it's it's another one that's well worth looking at.
3: For. Mm. But do you know which variety yours no, is, Penny? I
1: don't. It was given to me by someone who was given <laughs> by someone else. It's <laughs> now the Penny yes. variety or yeah, the Penny's friend <laughs> variety, <don't>, exactly. <laughs> that one. But I did, in again, in in doing some research for Organic Gardener, um, we next issue we've got an article about celery that Justin has mm. written, mm. Um, which is a really nice article, and and um, we, I was just looking at different. Um, celery cultivars that don't need a lot of care Mm. and it's clear that there are now some really nice red stemmed cultivars that are becoming available so i think that's that's a really good thing
3: and do they they're probably still prone to the bacterial leaf spot or less Um, so
1: i don't know sorry Mm. i haven't grown those ones i know mine Mm. has never shown any sign of bacterial leaf spot you're (laughs) lucky yeah so i don't i don't know maybe it may be Mm. be resistant it could be Mm. could be
0: Karen, what are, are you planting anything at the moment in your garden?
3: Um, I'm a bit the same as Penny. Looking, I'm eating what's growing by itself, so getting quite a few fruits. I'm, I'm starting to get my first oranges, which is exciting. Mm. I don't have big trees, but the, um, they're, they're finally getting going on the clay soil. And some of the finger limes, actually I forgot, I forgot to bring some of those in, the crosses like the sunset lime mm. and sunrise lime, they're coming along. So a few nibbles on those and, yeah, landcress, which is a Mm -hmm. lovely veggie and the perpetual spinach is kicking on again and the the self-seeded, the um, purple mustard leaf. I think it technically gets called red mustard leaf, but to me it looks much more purple. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's that beautiful, seeing that beautiful colour in the garden as well. So, yeah, eating lots of self-seeded things and and garlic sprouts as well. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do with your landcress? I just put it in salads. Yeah. Mm. You, you don't
0: actually ever braise it, or you can.
4: Yeah, you
3: yeah, can I've put. You can that. drop it into You've it because it's it? a strong mustardy it's flavor. It's very strong. Yeah. Yes. Oh, actually, I and would put hot. things. I would put things like that. I would chop things up like that and just put them on the top of soups. A chickweed mm. too. Harvesting with the chickweed at the moment that self seeds, and just chop them up and get that fresh green flavor, whatever the flavor is, of whichever things I've mm. grabbed and put them on the top of a really hot soup. When you just put it into the bowl, and then just sort kind of wilt them or let them, you know, mm. cook that very light just warm up basically and wilt and then eating that so you're getting some fresh mm-hmm. herby things with your with your homemade soup. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you?
2: I'm I'm uh, rearranging a lot in the front garden at the moment. Um, right, I continue to refine it every year. And but and are you
0: picking anything at the moment? Do you have any um, yeah. greens in the garden? Or? Well,
2: talking of self-sowing things, I, I planted a crop of celtus about four years ago, and I still mm. get seedlings coming up. From, wow, do you <laughs> from that? Well yeah, yeah, wow. So they've persisted you know, mm. in a big way, um, mm. and they're very welcome in my garden. Yeah, yeah, delicious.
1: So this is this is stem lettuce. Yes, yes, yes. Just, for The listeners, yep.
2: yeah, I'm, yep.
0: I, I've only tried to grow it once and I didn't have all that much success. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah okay. so I must yeah, right. I keep meaning well, to you try need it to again. bring in some seed,
4: yeah, okay, because Ooh, yours is obviously strong,
0: it's, <laughs> <and> it's, <laughs> but it's see, a self-sowing one, too. yeah, which is, <laughs> which is which is terrific. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, stem lettuce is the most amazing thing to see growing in the garden. Oh, I've well, never seen, seen it. Oh, it's oh, fantastic, Karen. It's a beautiful
2: thing, it's
3: for it's beautiful. You yeah, I've, I've read about it, but I've never yeah. laid eyes on the thing. But you, so, you harvest
1: yeah. the leaves going as, up as it, grows, as it grows up. And then you harvest the
3: stem. Yes. Mm. As a cooked veggie? Yes. Or as, yeah. Yeah, yes. No, mm. yeah, you do cook it. Mm. You slice it and, you, mm. and, you, and you've got, got to take the outside you off. Peel it. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and yep. it's the inside of the yes. stem that mm. you harvest.
0: Mm. But it's, it's, I, I just love the whole look of it. It's such a structural plant. Um, to you have, have growing these little the mini forests in the, oh wow you're place. getting me excited now yeah. no and no it, <laughs> it's great is
3: it more something that you have it does it self seed more in autumn or in spring or when's its primary time um,
2: it seeds more in kind of late summer autumn mm. for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. yeah Ready for and then it, yeah. then it pops up again in the yeah. winter yeah mm-hmm. quite mm. quite happily and quite profusely as well yeah. mm. but that and Jerusalem artichokes I think I'll be eating Jerusalem oh, yes, artichokes yes, forever yes. <laughs> yeah I'm not sure how I'm going to eat them all yeah. but um, yes. Indeed but I'm, yeah. I was thinking of taking some to a to a a place that does food for for mm. you know, the homeless and that kind of thing because I do have so much of them. I had <laughs> had about one and a half square meters and I planted three or four little tubers the size of my thumb. Um, this time last year, and dug up a good 30 kilos um, Wow! Mm. A actually, a friend few, of mine just, few weeks ago, just
3: gave was... me a good hint for that. Um, he said when he's drew the mud sprout, he digs them in spring, he digs them up and separates them and actually spaces them really well. And he said he gets much nicer, bigger, easier to easier to cook with mm. yeah, okay. pe- um, tubers, which it's is a good idea. It's also a
1: good time to control them. If, you are, yes. if they are spreading yeah. too yeah. far, I mm. tend to pull them out and actually just use mm. the plants mm. as mulch on the surface of the soil. People forget sometimes yeah. to
3: kind of, modify their yeah. big, not saying mm. that you did, James, but yeah, mm. I thought that was a great idea, a great management tool mm. to um, space. Mm. He just gets much bigger tube, as he said.
2: Yeah. So they can be a little bit warty and gnarly and a little bit unapproachable when it comes to, you know, doing something with them in the kitchen, I reckon, but... Um, yeah, but that's yeah, a good one. I'll have to try that. Um, I like the sound of that.
1: Pam, can I just say quickly that I had a really nice experience in the last couple of weeks that my son, who's now 25, decided that he netted a garden.
2: Yay. And really? he's living in this <laughs>
1: tiny, tiny little flat with no real garden area. So I planted up these these bags full of... You know he want he's a he does a lot of Asian cooking so he wanted coriander and he wanted various other things yes fantastic lemongrass and rosemary and stuff like that and it was such my daughter is already growing things in her tiny space but it was so lovely to have him actually ask for a garden. So that was a real highlight <laughs> <laughs> of my last two or three weeks.
0: It's like, um, yeah, my, my eldest daughter up in um became a, um, not only is she, her whole backyard now is given over to, um, to no-dig garden with all sorts of edibles, but she's also a member of the local community garden up there, which one... Um, which one community gardener of the year through wow, um, ABC wow. Australia okay. yep. Gardening Australia? So, um, yeah, you don't you don't think any of it rubs off, but occasionally it does. <laughs> obviously,
1: does yes. Yeah.
0: we have to go because um, because uh, coming up next is alternative news, and it's their radiothon show. So we need to get them into the studio um, nice on time. Please, listeners, don't forget it's our big radiothon show next. Sunday we're running on air from seven thirty right through till 10 o'clock and then we're inviting you all to uh to come in and uh and pick up your goodies have a cup of tea or coffee with us so tune in dig deep and uh support 3cr and the gardening show next Sunday but until then bye for now